I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Holy crap. Okay. This is episode 100 and I am super, super duper, super duper excited um, because I have Lisa Chastain here and I thought it would be cool. I don't know. Maybe this is like all self-absorbed of me, but like, I thought like, since I'm typically asking questions, people, or sometimes I do a solo episode and then like, I just make some stuff up or talk about one thing. I thought it'd be interesting to be completely open and vulnerable and actually bring on one of my best friends, Lisa Chastain, who is phenomenal. And I said, Lisa, just ask me anything and let's just have a conversation. I'm an open book. And then, you know, people can know whatever they want to know instead of me always interviewing everybody else and asking them all these vulnerable questions. So Lisa, thanks for coming on. This will be fun. And and let me just tell them about you so they know how awesome you are. So Lisa and I met because um, she saw one of my Facebook ads um, back in 2016, I believe. Yeah, 2016, yeah. like really yeah. near the beginning when I launched this business. And um, and then she became a femme. And that's an interesting story, but we, we probably talked about that on the other podcast you were on. And then um, she's just done amazing. Now she's really well known in Las Vegas as the millennial money coach for women. And she's been on CNBC, NBC, um, Oprah Magazine, Fortune, uh, entrepreneur, all this stuff. So just, just has done incredible things. And now, you know, we're totally, she's, she's one of my coaches uh, for my rap program. So we love each other a lot. <laughs> so it's the best person I can find to interview me and um, expose me to the world. Here she is. Hey everyone. Okay. So they're not going to answer. Yeah, <laughs> they're very I quiet. I know they're not. I know they're listening. Um, it's, it's an honor and it really is like reflecting on our journey together. It's really cool that we're here as, as besties. I really do. You are one of my best friends and you've been there for me through thick and thin over the last six years. So I think it's cool for your hundredth episode that your listeners will get to know you, your fans will get to know you from my perspective. Mm, that's fun. It's funny that you say like how I'm always there for you because I feel like I, I'm such a talker. And just even recently when we were together, I was like, we just spent four hours together. And I think I spoke for three of those hours. <laughs> and like, you just got five minutes here, five minutes there, but you're such a good listener. And it's like, it's because it, which feels very like, it's all about me. But with, when I'm with you, I just want to share everything with you. Like, it's just, you're so comforting. You're so forgiving. You're so accepting. And it's really a, a wonderful friendship to be in because it's like, I can say anything I could do no wrong. Like you'll never judge me. You always love me. So thank you for, for being like that and, and coming on and, and uh, diving in. That's so cool. I feel the same way about you. So we'll give the, I'll give the, I'll give your, your audience an idea of, for me, that the, the reason that you're one of my best friends is that I feel it's the same way for you and we're just, we're different people. So we're going to be different about relationships, but as a coach, first and foremost, when we, when we met, you were, you were there for me a hundred percent, like no judgment. I, I, my, my life was a mess when we met. 
<laughs> a legit mess. And it took a few years to turn around. And you, you know, you're, you're not only someone who loves me and accepts me for who I am and where I'm headed in my life, but you also challenge me. And I, and I feel like, you know, your journey pushes me to want to continue to grow and continue to do some really cool things. So, um, I don't know what you shared about yourself on this podcast or not. So I'm going to treat this as if you were on my podcast. Oh, perfect. Welcome to your hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So let's start with, um, I'm all about relationship with money. And I know that you're on a mission to help women transform their own lives with money and help other people do that. So how are, how are you raised with, and I, I don't, I don't know if we've ever had this in depth of a conversation, but I would love to know, I know your parents, I've met them before, but how were you raised? What was life like as little Robin? Regarding money, particularly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say overall, just my parents, um, very, very supportive, very loving, um, always there for me, you know? So, so like I had a very easy childhood, you know, like Trevor, my husband talks about his childhood and how he, they didn't have money and he had to like go in the closet and eat these rice puffs, you know, when they like, or a can of corn and things that were like two cans. Like I, I can't even imagine, like our pantry was so full of crap and, and <laughs> plenty of food and that sort of thing. And so like, I can't say that I had it hard at all. Um, but interestingly enough, and, and, you know, I've been talking, I guess, you know, I'm making a funny face because I'm talking about recently my, my parents and the relationship I have with my parents in a way where I feel like, um, has had some trauma, you know, one, because, uh, one of my coaches, Alex Sharpen was like, oh yeah, if you're an entrepreneur, like you have trauma and like a lot of the things, um, that the way that I react in business and I have a lot of FOMO and I have had, I'm trying to work on it, but, um, willing to take like a crazy amount of risk, like things like that, that it's like, whoa, like, why am I so like urgency, urgency driven, like all these things. And he's like, oh yeah, like that's trauma. And so I did some therapy recently, um, EMDR, which in my whole life, I didn't do therapy, but this is EMDR stuff. It's kind of a weird type of therapy that Alex Sharpen recommended. And she was asking me about stuff and like a lot of stuff came about like with my dad. And, um, again, if, hopefully my dad won't listen to this, but if he does, like, I love him dearly. I love both my parents. And when I was growing up, I think I didn't feel loved by him, you know? And so as much as I felt support and I felt like I knew logically they loved me, I remember specific moments of time in time where I felt like he was disappointed or he thought I was stupid or I didn't get it, or we couldn't communicate, you know, in a lot of ways, I felt like, you know, he was, I feel so almost like I'm going to cry saying this because if he was listening to this, I, I mean, he's so not even like this anymore. He's changed a ton, but it felt like he was emotionally unavailable. Like it was, there wasn't a lot of connection there. Um, and my EMDR therapist said to me once, she said, you know, that kind of trauma is a lot harder to deal with versus if you were, I mean, this is horrible, but like molested or raped or like you had some like car accident, whatever, because you know what the trauma was versus this underlying feeling that you're just not enough. And I am, again, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on a podcast. If, if Lisa and I were talking and we talk like this all the time and I, I just start talking, this is what I mean. I just go on and on and on. It's like, like, I am so grateful for that as well, because my drive, the desire to help people, even the desire to be liked, which isn't my favorite part, but like, 
it is this desire to serve. A lot of that came from maybe just like we all feel like maybe not enough. So um, as much as like I had everything and handed to me and um, acceptance and all those things, which allowed me to do cool stuff, I can talk about traveling and things like that. Um, there was also this very clear black and white, right or wrong, good or bad, um, and judgment. And not just my dad, but just my mom as well. Like that kind of was just, you know, there. And um, interestingly enough, recently, because I've been getting help with another coach, like a prosperity coach named Kizma, um, she helped me realize like that it's good to experience your emotions versus because I've done so much personal growth. I'm trying to trump it. Like if I feel anxious, I'm like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, like just, just focus on something else. Like Tony yeah. says, focus on something, you know? So, um, and she's like, just experience it. Don't make it wrong because my tendency has been to make it wrong, you know? And so I have realized like, I actually have been experiencing a lot of anxiety that I would never have admitted before. Just not because I think I feel vulnerable about admitting it. It's because I don't want to give, um, truth to something that like with all the personal development I've done, I don't want to say like, okay, I have anxiety or I, even I feel anxious because then it makes it real. And then that's where my focus goes. And then I get more of that. And I believe in yeah. law of attraction. So that's a lot. And there's a lot more about my parents, but um, that's one thing I've been, you know, noticing. And that I think that has, is kind of true in my family that there's a bit of anxiety there with everybody, especially my mom and my brothers. So that's a loaded question, but awesome question. Tune into episode 200. We'll <laughs> unpack. It's like, no, episode 101, 102. We're going to need about like the, the next 100 episodes to go through my whole advice. And, and if you guys are listening and, and just send us a note because we don't know even who listens to this and who cares. And if you like this type of stuff, you want to hear more, tell us. Or if you're like, no, let's get back to the juicy, like how to get a client. So let's, let's do yeah. that. We would love to hear your feedback. But for now, I'm just going to be like open. I think it's really great to celebrate you. And for I, I'm in, I'm on episode 44 of my podcast. And it, it is a lot. It's a lot to generate a lot of information and have on the right guests. And I do, I do believe that there are people here who really want to know you, not just what you know. So this is good stuff. Um, so you uh you had a good childhood. Your mom was a school teacher. Yeah, pre-kindergarten. Mm -hmm. What did your dad do for a living? My dad was an engineer at AMD and AMD? advanced micro devices. Um, I don't really know what he did, uh, but something engineer like, and, uh, I think, you know, my, my assumption is he had a, we were living in yeah, Silicon Valley. So South of San Francisco, my assumption is, you know, he made a good six figure income. And I remember my mom has told me multiple times, the most money she ever made was $17,000 a year. And, um, yeah. And there it was basically the way that they looked at money was, she didn't work until I was eight years old. So she was always a stay at home mom until then. And my dad's money was their money. So my mom would say our money, right? So it was our money was my dad's, you know, the, whatever he took home, which makes sense. Um, but then when she got her job and she was working, you know, as a pre-kindergarten teacher and bringing home, you know, whopping $17,000 a year, that was her money. So sometimes she'd take me to lunch and she'd be like, this is my money, honey. You know, like she'd be proud of like that. She's using my money, not dad's money, or not our money, but my money. Um, and then, you know, my dad was thrilled because now like he didn't have to really deal with her yeah. like shopping habit or something like, and she, she, my mom very much, um, 
likes to bargain shop, but she mm-hmm. likes quantity versus quality. So she would, she likes to have, you know, go to TJ Maxx and get her orange shoes that match her orange watch that match her orange shirt, you know, and then like, so she likes to do her thing and like, but she does like, she would never spend $200 on a shirt or, you know, a blouse. Like she would go to TJ Maxx and like Ross and now, especially they're going to go on Tuesday because they get their, you know, senior discount and stuff. And so they're very, very bargainy shoppers, both of them. Um, my dad is more thrifty than my mom, but my mom is also, she doesn't like to spend a lot of money, but she's okay spending a lot of money for good reason. And like, that's basically for the stuff that she likes, if it's cheap enough that she can get a lot of it. And, um, and she's definitely the one that was writing the checks for the donations, you know? So my dad was like, cool. Now our money can go to the things that we want and your money can go to the things that I think is ridiculous for you to spend money on, not necessarily donations, but it's nice that he didn't have to carve that out of the money that he brought home. And then, you know, she could write those checks for the donations. And then, um, she, she could be feel very generous with her $17,000 a year. And then her little bit of shopping sprees. That's cool. And you have two brothers, two brothers, older and younger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and you're the middle child. That's true. Yes. Gosh, no wonder. Never mind. <laughs> Never felt seen. <laughs> Does that explain things? Oh, only girl, middle child. Like, hello. No, I, I felt seen. I mean, I definitely like. Again, like they're really encouraging. Like they're the type of parents that would come to my soccer games. They'd come to yeah. every swim meet. Like they would be there, you know. But um, some of the patterns that I find myself running is so like ingrained in me because of how like the patterns that my, my family and my parents ran, like we used to, um, I was talking about how, you know, I've had, I've been noticing this anxiety, the anxiety that comes up the most, or I'm feeling the most anxiety is in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm trying to get the kids out of the house or trying to, you know, get somewhere, um, and, and, and like, I always have these mini goals. I just realized, like I had this like amazing, um, anniversary with my husband and we talked for like seven hours. It was really cool. And like, I was realizing all these things, not just about us and about him. So we're really working on improving our relationship, but also about myself. And I'm like, man, I set mini goals for everything. Like, okay, getting a glass of water here and back or like getting the kids to school. And I'm pretty much late to everything, as you know, but like, I'm not like Trevor, my husband, who's like, he's late to everything and doesn't give a shit. I'm running late and I'm freaking out, stressed out, anxious, and then I'm still late. And then even if nobody cares, I'm still like, oh, like, oh my gosh, like that was so stressful. Um, And I realized like that was such a pattern. Like we would eat dinner for most of my childhood at 630 on the dot. And my dad would come home from work. He'd put his keys, you know, uh, hang the keys up, put his jacket in the closet. Like I can picture it, like, you know, just come through the garage, um, put his jacket in the closet, hang the keys up. And it's basically like already why isn't dinner on the table type of feeling and my mom running around the kitchen oh get, robs can you you know go get the go get the salt uh, uh, put, put the milk on the table oh is it, okay have you set the table yet? you know like so i'm dying here <laughs> so much nervous <laughs> nervous energy and before my dad walked through the door we, i remember like being at the tv like lying down like watching the tv and my mom would be <clears throat> 6 15 going set the table you know to me and my brother usually my older brother my younger brother six years younger so this is when we were a little bit older but you know set the table set the table table your dad's gonna be home any minute your dad's gonna be home any minute set the table you know and we'd be like we'll set it well you'll set it before he gets home you know we could always blow off my mom she could yell at us she can scream at us she can be nervous anxious it was just her energy and it's like we could blow it off my dad, it's like, kids, 
you know, it's dinner time. Like, okay. You know, we get on the sit down the second he comes in, but definitely like, you know, there'd be this like anxiety, getting stuff ready, <clears throat> getting dinner ready on time. And then I think he started coming home a little later. So then it was six forty-five for many, many years, but it was like very much the expectation. We always had dinner together unless there was something, you know, out of the ordinary. And so, I mean, this is how I am now and like to a much lesser degree, but I'm really working on it because I get into the kitchen, I'm getting dinner ready and I'm not like huffing and puffing out loud. It's all internal, but Trevor comes in and he can feel my energy. It's like, and he's still working and it's like, he's not there yet, you know, and he does not demand like dinners on the table by any stretch. It's hard for me just to get him to the table on time. But like, I'm thinking I want dinner on the table at a certain time. It's not always six 30, but it's like, in my body, if it's past 6, 36, 45, I can start to feel it like, oh, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm trying to get dinner ready and I'm trying to sort out the kids and I feel like everything's on me and I, I make myself feel so anxious. So it's, it's been really interesting lately to recognize these patterns. And again, like I so don't blame my parents. Like, I think it's amazing what they've done and, and I'm so proud of who I am and I wouldn't be who I was with, without all these faults and flaws and whatever, but it's I'm very conscientious of it right now with my kids and how I'm reacting, which is one of the reasons I'm working on it because I don't want to imprint that on my kids, yeah. you know, so <clears throat> not all money stuff, but like patterns, you know, really interesting patterns that are coming up, uh, that just noticing lately, yeah. especially. Yeah. I think that's, it's so cool. Right. So here's, um, here's why I like asking these questions. Cause you were like, ask me anything. And yeah. I can legit ask you anything about business or whatever, which, you know, your audience is going to get from you because you're such a wealth of information. But when you, when you come into Robin's world and really when you, when you commit to growing your business in general, you think that you have to take certain action. You have to have certain tools, which you do, but the biggest key to success is the work that you do on yourself. Absolutely. And I know um, I didn't think you were going to let me hire you because I just had you up on this pedestal like, oh, my God, she's so pretty and she's so skinny. And like, she's just, you know, she's got her shit together and I don't. And I was just so um, ashamed of where I was. And then I like saw you as like so successful when when I hired you. Um, then you learned the truth. <laughs> <laughs> she's like a total crazy person. No. Yeah. But we, we do, we put these, we put coaches and like people who have these platforms on a pedestal sometimes. And I think it's really great for your audience to hear like you, you're, you're like, you got your own stuff going on. You're raising two kids, building a business. And three, three even. That's right. That's right. Sorry. You birthed two children. I did birth. Two and you children. have a teenager, which is even worse. <laughs> teenager too. I'd say worse, but definitely I would count that in on the raising side. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. And you've had Phoenix. Yeah. And I don't know what your audience knows or doesn't know. So let's, let's go there. Let's talk about, um, you were a singer songwriter and this is a part of your story. So if, you know, someone's been following you for a while, they understand that you were a single songwriter and at some point you shifted gears and you became a financial advisor. And, um, and in, in that journey, you had to do a lot of personal development and understanding what was, what had you stuck and you went to Tony Robbins and then you met Trevor. And your whole life shifted when not only did you meet Trevor, but you met Phoenix because she was tiny when you did that. Yeah. So you are her, you are her bonus mom. She doesn't know her life without you. What was that transition like for you to go from, you know, singer songwriter to financial advisor to stepmom and wife? 
Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that happen within that time frame too, that like I had to, I think, deal with and overcome and just um, let go of too, because I had this, you know, I grew up Jewish and I had this vision that I would marry someone Jewish. And of course you, you don't typically envision your future with, um, you know, bonus kid, like coming along for the ride. And so I met Trevor when, um, I was, yeah, now, uh, I mean, I basically was a financial advisor. It was 2000, it was the end of 2008 when we first met, but, um, we re-met like in, uh, I think July, the following year, 2009, but basically he, I remember when I met him at a Tony Robbins event and he had a picture of his daughter on his phone and she was naked <laughs> wearing cowboy <laughs> boots. And I was like, dude, it's a little inappropriate, man. Like, but um, he was just so like, he would light up when he talked about her. I mean, he's so in love with his daughter, just so, so sweet. Um, and we totally connected, like we had this connection and it's kind of like when I tell the story and it's been a long time since I told the story actually, but um, at Tony Robbins, there's a lot of hugging going on. Like you hug people and, and he was a senior leader, which similar to what you said, is kind of like we looked up to, you know, senior leaders and, and the, the trainers and what, whatnot. So it already was kind of elevated and Trevor is just this like bubbly, you know, so well, but the audience doesn't, but you think I have a lot of energy, like me, my husband, like it's, it's well, well, well of, of my energy. Um, I have to tell him to chill, you know, and people are like, I can't believe your energy, Robin, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it's nothing compared to my husband. Um, but but it was so engaging and so charming and so loving. And he really is like all love with all his craziness. Like he is just, um, he's just love, love, love. Um, and, and so I was really attracted to that. And I definitely wasn't even thinking um, about anything, you know, like romantic necessarily, because I just, he, he did have gray hair. So he looked a little older <laughs> and he was, he's five and a half years older than I am, but, and he has this daughter, you know? And so like, of course, like I saw off limits, but like, I just loved his energy and totally connected. And at one point, like we had this hug and I was like, Ooh, like that was, you know, felt sensual to some degree. And it wasn't that he did anything inappropriate. It was just like, I felt this amazing connection that I really never felt before. And I was actually, um, I was single for a decade before we met. So like, I mean, I dated a little bit here and there, but I didn't have a boyfriend for 10 years. And I was very much like the opposite of him where he was always in a relationship, perpetual relationship, um, long-term relationship. You know, he always had a girlfriend, I was opposite where like, I never really had a boyfriend and I wanted it, but I just, it's like, if I didn't think the guy was right, like I was not the type of person to stay with a guy ever, like not for a second, you know? And mm -hmm. so I, you know, would date someone, I like him for whatever, two days, <laughs> two weeks, two months, and then I'd be over it. And then I'd be, you know, done. Um, or I felt like there were a lot of guys that I was into and they weren't into me. And maybe because I'm very director, I don't know why, maybe because I wrote cynical love songs, who knows? But, um, and so they didn't last very long. And so, um, when I met Trevor and like, we had this hug, I was like, wow, like I feel some, something really, um, just, just a strong connection. And then I, like for the first time ever in my life, I actually went home after this event and Googled him. And I found like this video of him and who I thought was his wife and with Phoenix, you know, this child. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Like what an awesome guy. Like he's got a great life and all that stuff. 
uh, flash forward to about eight months or so later, you know, we're at this, I went to this other event and I was, I was actually crewing the event. So we, I was like on staff, but like to a lesser degree than the senior leader, but we met eight months later, um, at this event. And again, we just like connected and just were like, again, I thought he was totally off limits. So the coolest thing about that was I was, I, I wasn't trying to be someone I was not. And I really think another reason why I wasn't in relationships is because I pushed guys away. I remember a guy in college who, um, he was super, super cute. Like he actually was like this model. His name was Reed. He was like super hot. And he like modeled for, I don't know, probably like clothing. It wasn't like the top top, but he was hot. And, um, at the end of my senior year, uh, we were all like, we hung out and I asked, I, or I mean, I called him or something, but I asked him out on a date because it was like two weeks left in our senior year of college. And I'm like, nothing to lose, you know, because I usually didn't take any risks, especially with guys. Like I was super scared of rejection. And so I asked him out and we went out on this date and we had a great time. Like it was super fun. We actually ended up jumping in the water and skinny dipping. Like it was just like, and, and not like super sexual, but fun. And um, he's like, I thought you were into my friend because every time I hung out with him and his, this other guy friend, like I give so so much more attention to the guy I didn't like and basically hardly talked to Reed because I was so scared and, and so embarrassed. I wouldn't say I was shy, but like, I wasn't myself because I was trying to like maybe impress or like act like I didn't really like him. So that was really interesting. Um, and so when, you know, Trevor and I met, I wasn't trying to do that, but it's like, because he was off limits, I didn't think there was any possibility for a relationship. And so I was totally myself. Like I remember the first time we met prior, I sang the song in his ear and it was a root, like one of my um, cynical love songs. And it's like about this guy breaking up with me. And he told me in an email and it goes, you told me in an email, you're such a freaking pussy, but it used the F bomb. And I was like singing this to Trevor, like that's going to impress him. Cause I didn't, wasn't trying to impress him, but I thought it was hilarious and I'll do anything for a joke. So that was the type of thing, like with Trevor, when I met him again, it was like, I was just myself. I was goofy. I was silly. I was fun. And we just connected again. And then it turned out that he was no longer in a relationship. They actually were never married. Um, and you know, he, he had this conversation with me at the end. He's like, I want to stay in touch. And he's like, I, instead of saying, I like you, he's told me the opposite. He said, I hate that you're, you have soft skin. I hate like really cheesy stuff, but it was like a, my favorite romantic comedy because I was the star of the show. But it was like, you know, I hate that you love kids. I hate that, you know, you're funny. I hate that, you know, so all these really nice things about me. And he's like, I just want to stay in touch. Like nothing happened. We didn't kiss like nothing. Like we just had a great conversation. And then, you know, three days of conversations really like hanging out. I remember we were walking down uh, the sidewalk outside once and he said, see those flowers. And I'm like, yeah, like a, you know, bunch of flowers, like a bouquet of flowers. And I said, yeah. And he's like, those are for you. He didn't buy them for me. He just pointed them out <laughs> and he told me they were for him. And then I remember another situation, like we got in my car um, again, we didn't even kiss that whole time, but we talked about what he's like, what do you want, you know, in a relationship? And I was like, you know, telling him I want to marry someone Jewish. Like I'd like him to have a, you know, a, a job where we have, like, I was thinking about security, right? Like I wanted benefits. I wanted all these things. I wanted someone who was like, cause I had a financial job that wasn't secure and I was running my own business. And like, I wanted a Jewish guy with security, definitely did not have a daughter in the picture, you know, all these things. And then it was de not describing him at all. But then, you know, it was just one of these things, like we just completely connected. So for a month we stayed in touch. And then a month later we met up in, um, 
Philadelphia, uh, where I had a gig after not having one forever. And he videotaped this whole, um, gig. Cause I was like, can you videotape some of this? Because like, I haven't done YouTube, you know, it was 2009 and I didn't have any YouTube videos. It's like, I missed it when I stopped being a songwriter in 2006. And I'm like, I just want to put some songs up. And he's like, sure. He did the whole thing. And then he turned it into a DVD and he's like spent, you know, we, we had a long distance thing. So we started dating then, but like he said, he spent 52 hours. I don't know why 52, but hours, like looking at this video and editing it to make this DVD for me just because he wanted to. And he's like, that's when I knew I, I really liked you because after 52 hours of watching you sing cynical love songs about dudes you didn't like, and one, you're such a freaking pussy, you know, another, like, I don't want you. And, you know, all these songs about like, I guess we're not falling in love, you know, like I had all these songs that were so like anti kind of anti dudes or not, not really dudes, but anti relationships. And he's like, and I still liked you. And, and we ended up like, everything was kind of backwards. Like I, that first week we started dating, I met Phoenix and, you know, he ended up, he was already flying to California. And so then we were, we saw each other all the time and his daughter was there. So we were like, we had a relation, like the first week or so of our relationship was with his daughter, you know? And so that's how I jumped in. And we always talked about how it's so weird that everything was backwards because he always treated me like I was, I was another parent. Like he never made me feel like I couldn't say, you know, put your seatbelt on, honey. You know, like, even though I maybe knew her for two weeks, like he always did that. And throughout, like, as we started dating a relationship, he always made me feel like an equal parent, which was really amazing. So it was definitely jumping in. Um, didn't think of it, anything I wanted. Plus, by the way, he said he was home free, which meant he was homeless. So he had no money. He wasn't making money. He was going through a bankruptcy um, while we started dating. Within probably six months, he went through a $2.2 million bankruptcy. And I was not financially set in any way making good money. And so that was a whole other thing with our the beginning of our relationship with the money stuff that was a real like challenge. That was a long story. But there, I don't even know if you heard that whole story. Probably, but... Um, in bits and pieces, not in its entirety. Oh, you have to, so, um, best friend side sidebar to all of this is that I really don't think that you could find somebody as goofy as you. And so that you found Trevor is so cool because I love my favorite thing about you and Trevor. One of my favorite, I love so many things about you and Trevor. Um, but the, what you do for Halloween and like Halloween is like every day in your household. They're always dressing up. I mean, it, it, you know, you don't share all of this on Facebook, but I'm, you know, I'm on your Facebook page. So it's like, it, it is not, it's like a regular Tuesday to have Robin and Trevor and the kids all dressed up in some wacky costume, like pretending to be superheroes or whatever it is. And it's just the funnest house in that way. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of my favorite things yeah, about he, you. He is. Yeah. He, and he drives that more, but I'm super into that. Like it's super fun. And we, we just like had, um, Halloween not too long ago and we didn't really have our shit together. And so like we went the day before Halloween into Walmart and he wanted to do the minion stuff. And so like we got, I mean, and he's an overbuyer. Uh, yeah. He buys everything and then he takes things back. And I call it a revolving door because every time he takes things back, he buys more shit and it drives me nuts. But, um, but we, he, I mean, it's like, talk about just in case he's like, just in case we need this, 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 you know, got all this stuff, but we didn't have it together. Cause he had to make all these things. Cause he gets like super into it. This is a guy who also like make, 
made like a VW bug out of cardboard during the pandemic. Like he just wanted to create things like, um, but yeah. And so we got all these minion stuff, but we haven't, he's like, I don't care if it's past Halloween, like we're going to do it. And so he still is like working on the costumes. It's now, you know, almost late November. And like one of these days we're just going to be in minions. And so you guys will see that at some point randomly and probably for no reason whatsoever. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. You guys are so spirited. It's like the perfect, it is the perfect match in that way. Um, and then both being entrepreneurs, I know there's been highs and lows and that could be a whole other episode, but what I really want to transition to with just a little bit of time that we have left is that I want to talk about your journey. Um, I, I don't know to what extent you talk about this on your podcast, but this journey of when you started FEM, which was in 2016 was your first FEM, right? Yep. And that's when I met you was, uh, my first FEM event was October of 2016, right. You've had Phoenix who, gosh, she was like not even 10 at the time. She yeah. was pretty little. Oh no. 2016. She was, she was born in 2005. So she was almost 11 in February. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So still pretty young and Connor, my, my son's 14. So they know each other. We've kind of watched them grow up into teenagers together. Um, but you didn't have Phoenix or Maverick. No, Sage or Maverick. Sage. Yeah. <laughs> no. You didn't have Sage or Maverick. And that was something that you really wanted. And at the same time, you and Trevor were like, in my experience, balls to the wall, both of you growing your businesses. Um, So you are birthing a business. He's birthing his business. You're, You're both making it to six figure, seven figures, right? And now you're on this journey to have kids. What was that like for you in your, you know, I, I experienced it kind of alongside of you, but what was that like for you? Well, we, I'll tell you this, like this, um, we wanted to have kids earlier for sure. And I remember before femme, when we were both really broke, um, I remember this one day we were driving somewhere and we, we like stopped by Best Buy or whatever. And like, we were in the parking lot of Best Buy and we started talking about having a baby. Um, and so this was probably, I want to say 2014, maybe, um, could have been 2015. So my daughter's yeah, 10, like, and, and, and we probably started talking about it even earlier than that. No, it was even earlier than that. But I remember this one, one day, because we had tried to have we tried to get pregnant for probably two years already, maybe something like that. And we couldn't get pregnant or we weren't yet. Um, we did lots of IUIs. We, we even tried sex, believe it or not. Um, still, <laughs> And, uh, and then I remember being in this parking lot and again, we were in debt, you know, we, we definitely weren't making the money, weren't doing, you know, six figures and, and we had all sorts of challenges with money. I was very scared because after, you know, watching him go through a bankruptcy and then I was mostly paying for rent, I was mostly, and I, I wasn't set, you know, I did hit six figures at some point, but then, um, I don't know, we had you know ups and downs of that as well. And we're in this parking lot and we're talking about having a baby and I was crying. I was just like bawling. And I was like, we can't, like, we can't do this. Cause he's talking about doing IBF. And I'm like, honey, like we have to get financially secure first. Like there's no way we can do this yet. And he's like, he's like, he parked the car and I love this about Trevor parked the car. And he said, I will never let money prevent us from having what we want, especially from having a family. And, um, it was super scary. 
didn't know where we'd come up with the money. I, I do tell this story a lot because this was like, it was a very pivotal moment for me. Um, but uh, we did it. And then we went through IVF in 2015 to put uh, two eggs in and got no babies out. Um, and so that, interestingly enough, I from there went on this journey to Peru and kind of find myself and um, with a coach of mine, amazing guy, Jeff, and and a bunch of people and came back going like, okay, I'm going to try to do this on my own, like get my health better and, you know, and, and focus like kind of let go of this. Um, I have to have a baby now kind of thing. And I really do believe that birthed femme, which is so, so cheesy, but, um, female empowered moneymakers, that's our program that we're so passionate about that, that Lisa came in. Um, and it was because I had to let go of, of like, just, I had to have a baby now. And then I focused on, you know, growing the business. And then, um, by, you know, that following February, we, we launched Femme and it was great. And I wouldn't say it was like overnight success, like this bullshit of overnight success. Like we've been working on this type of stuff for years and years and years and struggles and, and debt and all these things. But then um, we did have our first Femme in February, 2016, and it was phenomenal. And it, it like absolutely changed my life and changed a lot of women's lives. And now we're like, we, we are keep going with this. And now I, we don't count them anymore. We used to count them, but we have, you know, it's now been how many ever years, six, so years, for it. Um, but, but that was, um, then in 2017, like in the middle of when Femme was going great, it was kind of one of these things where like, okay, well now we actually have the money. We had money, but we didn't have the time because we were both growing our business. Like you said, like balls to the wall, like hardcore growing, growing, growing. And it was actually finally after years and years of trying and debt, and this was finally working. Um, and so to then put it, a stop into that and have to go every other day to like, look at my follicles and take these medicine, I mean, drugs. And, you know, I remember being at like, um, you know, one of the amusement parks, like shooting myself in the belly and then, you know, shooting myself in the butt, like all this stuff is like, I wasn't that emotional about it. Or maybe I was just hiding my emotions because I don't know now because I realized I've been like, burying my emotions, but it didn't, it, it was, it was really time consuming. Like, and that was really hard to take away from the business. And then we tried multiple, multiple times again and, and, and it didn't work until it finally did. And, and then it finally uh, got pregnant in 2017 with my son and it was total, total miracle. Um, and a 2018, like was my worst year <laughs> since like, uh, you know, before that, like I, we did, like, I, I think we finally hit half a million dollars in 2017, I think. And then 2018, we went down to 300. Like I had a baby. I was like, what do I do with this? And not just like the baby, but like, what do I do with like being a business owner and trying to navigate having a baby and finding a nanny? And like, I want to be with my family, but I also want to run this business. And there, there definitely were like feeling this pull in many different directions. I didn't necessarily know how to navigate it, but then, you know, we got back on track, you know, the next year, and then we hit a million dollars the following year. And when I had Sage, it was like a blip on my business. Like it just, I kind of figured out how to integrate the kids into my life and build my business around my life, not just my life around my business and be able to have kids and get help. I'm totally happy to get a lot of help. Um, but be very present and have a great relationship with my kids while running a seven figure business. So, um, it's, I, I always say that mommying is way harder than business and, and business is freaking hard, you know, but mommying is harder and yeah. I love it. Love business different in different ways, but I'm constantly challenged, um, and on both sides. Constantly. You are, you are, and you're a great mom. Thank you. And Maverick and Sage and, Phoenix are all really, really lucky to have you as their mom. They're 
the sweetest, smartest, kindest kids. And, and uh, just thinking about Phoenix's naked picture on Trevor's phone, they are always naked, which cracks me up too. <laughs> not Phoenix. Less, I mean, less, yeah, definitely <laughs> not Phoenix. Um, and she would hate that I said that on, on air, but um, less and less these days, although Maverick's probably the, the one that likes to be naked the most. Yeah. But um, yeah, they are, they're really, really smart kids. Just recently Maverick, like he's four and a half and he's, he's, he's spelling backwards. Like he's, he's yeah. like, I can spell my name backwards. And like, I'm like, what? And like, he's spelling any word backwards. And sometimes I'm like, Oh, you're spelling it backwards, not forwards. But like, he doesn't even read yet. He's doing this. And my daughter been like speaking since she was, I don't know, younger than one is crazy, but I'm like, God, these kids are smart, but they're, they're also super sweet and also crazy because they're part of the crayons. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. With just a few minutes to go. I'm trying to think. And I will things. say because if Phoenix hears this, she will kill me. She is brilliant, by the way. She's like in like five AP oh classes or something. And she's so only a, a sophomore because Phoenix definitely needs to know that she is. You are so smart. And yes, she really is. She really is. And she's so sweet and so kind too. So so. Sweet. She's awesome. Yeah. I would love to, um, I think I'd like to close out the podcast with, for you, what's next? What's next? Like you've had such a, I mean, gosh, the last six years have been big years for you. What's next? It's, it's a, like to be continued loaded question, I guess. Um, I don't have the answer for that. There, there are some things I do know, um, at least we're thinking about, uh, we've talked about this since we've kind of lived in places to be around my daughter, Phoenix, because of the situation. Um, and we moved down Florida because her, her mom uh, wanted to. And that was actually great, worked out perfectly. But we kind of feel like, okay, well, when she graduates high school, like we get to go wherever we want. So the the goal, and actually I didn't say goal, but the plan, if we ever planned anything, which we don't, uh, is to go abroad and live somewhere because we can and we can go wherever we want. And Phoenix will be in college most likely or somewhere around the world and we get to go wherever. So that's um, one of the things we do. One of the reasons why we're so motivated to get our business to a place where um, it's very sustainable and very predictable and, and, you know, we can make the impact that we want to make, not always having to give up all of our time is so we can be anywhere in the world and still, you know, give so much, um, and transform so many lives, um, no matter where we are. So that's one of the big, big picture things. Um, I actually am in this place to be completely transparent that like, I'm, I don't know which way this business is going. You know, I've, I've recently talked about how I want to, uh, potentially buy own, you know, an RAA and and get a firm together and and not just help these women grow their business, but then once like actually work with them forever because it's great to help someone go from zero to a hundred thousand or from a hundred thousand to three hundred or five hundred thousand. Um, but oftentimes then, you know, you know, some of them go to a million, but very few of them are still like in the program when they get to that point. And I'm like, I I'm, I'm jealous. I get jealous, like of not being part of it anymore, you know? And so I'm like, and, and not just jealous. It's not really jealous. I wouldn't actually describe myself as jealous. It's more like it's the FOMO, like the, that I feel like I'm missing out. Like I want to see the growth. I want to help them grow faster. And so I'm imagining, you know, potentially like having an RAA, um, and getting to like, take this women, you know, women advisor RAA to, I would say a billion, if not billions of dollars of asset center management, that would be really interesting. And at the same time, you might talk to me next week and I might say, actually, I don't want to do that because it's way too much compliance and way too much 
you know, like I don't want more anxiety or stress in my life. And so if, if it's going to be more stress or anxiety, um, and I know I can control that to some degree, but if it doesn't feel like it's aligned with what I want for my family and for my life, I'm willing to not do that, you know, so it could go in many different directions. You know, I've thought about, I, I really like to have equity in businesses and help other businesses grow. Um, I mean, obviously we're on the path to increase the footprint of women in the industry, which is very daunting at times. And I'm like, um, shit, like, I don't know. I can't even get the attention of, you know, 20,000 women, let alone to like, try to get, you know, I don't know, three or 400,000 women into the industry and make it equitable. So, um, I don't know when, I guess I'll end with this, which is, you know, possibly putting myself on the line, but just to be transparent as I am. Someone asked me, actually a guy had a podcast recently after we were on, you know, when we're off air, he said, you know, what is it that you want? Like, what does your future look like? And I started talking about like, here are the four different paths of my business of where it can go, you know? And he's like, I didn't ask you like where your business is going to go. I asked you what you want. And he said, so if you had to choose and you put everything into getting, um, you know, the footprint, this is crazy. I'm going to tell you this right now, but um, if you have to put everything into like you're getting the footprint of women in the industry to 50% and you're going to have people hate you and criticize you and um, you know, they're, they're going to attack you and, and all these things. If I really took that on, like I say it, but if I really took that on to be like, we are going to have this one industry be equitable bitches, watch out, you know? And if I were to really take that on and do everything I could to make that happen, he said, um, but then I wouldn't get to be with my family and spend as much time and with my kids and already I'm getting to your end thinking about it. I'm like, no, you can stop right there because as much as I want to change the world, like I will not sacrifice um, what I have my relationships with my family. So I want those things, but um, nothing's more important to me than the relationships with my family and having, watching my kids grow up and, and spend time with them. And it's not always time. Like I'm totally fine, like working full time and not being with my kids like all day. Um, but it's, it's, I want to be there when they have soccer games and I want to be there when they're getting awards and I want to be there. Like, I don't want to be a parent that's, you know, that's never around that I will not do. So I don't know where it's going to take me, but I do know family first. And I know I feel like it feels like death to me if I'm not transforming lives. So there has to be both. Um, and as long as I'm transforming lives, however, that shapes, you know, however that ends up, I'm okay with. And as long as I get to still have my relationships with my family and my friends and the people I love, like I'm okay with. I love that. I love that. You're, you're leading the way for so many Robin and um, I'll close out with this, that if as a listener, you're trying to figure out what your next step is or what, you know, what kind of coach you're looking for, who's going to help you get to the next level. What I'll say is that um, as my friend and a coach and a mentor in my life, like more like a big sister these days, is that you won't find you're, you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who cares as much and who will do whatever she can to help you get the result that you want in your life. Not only because she knows a shit ton, she's lived it, she's living it. And, uh, and for that reason, Robin, I love you. And I'm so grateful to be able to interview you today. Thank you. And thank you for coming on. And this was not to promote me in any way. It's just, but I do appreciate that those last sentiments, because it's true. Like the one thing no one can ever like make, you know, like 
knock me down about is like my integrity around helping people and making a difference. And if anyone, there will be people and there have been people who say, I'm just trying to get money or I'm just trying to do this or whatever. And like, as much as I don't like it, I'm like, you can say that, but I know my truth. And like, there's, that's one thing that is absolutely true. I feel like there are a few people in this world that care, not just as much as I do, as much as you do, as much as the femmes, as much as the, the women that we attract, that we work with, because that's who we are. Like, we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. We want to change the world. We do it with integrity. We do it with love and we do the best we can and we fuck up, <laughs> but yeah. we do the best we can. And, um, and that is like something I will always stand by. So thank you, Lisa. Such a pleasure. And I know you're two minutes late, so thank you for even staying on a little bit late and thank y'all for listening and we'll see you next time and give us some feedback. Like, let us know how that was for you. If you want to know more, if you want me to, maybe you need me to go and, and deep dive Lisa's, uh, experience or, or into her life or what you want to hear, because we'd love to make this podcast, um, the best for you and most entertaining, exciting, and, and valuable for you. So let us know, send us an email at support at robincrane.com and let us know what you think about the podcast and leave us a review. I think like we need some reviews. That would be nice to just see and, and stroke my ego now, or tell me I suck. <laughs> okay. Either way. Well, thank you guys. And we'll see you next time on growing your financial business, the woman's way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.